Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Right, welcome, listeners, to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nina Pantic, joined in the Lake Nona USTA National Campus studio with my co-host, Irina Falcone. Hey, guys. How's it going? And our guest for this episode, Richard Ashby. Richard, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Richard works here at the USTA National Campus. Richard, tell us a little brief bio about yourself. Well, i um, been working for the USTA for 16 years uh, before that coached um, on my own a little bit privately with uh, pros and juniors, um, worked in some academies before that, um, and so that's my coaching background. Um, played junior tennis, uh, played college tennis at the University of South Carolina, um, that's, so that's basically my playing background. Played a little bit of pro after college, but not that successful, so moved on to coaching. That's relatable. Uh, so what players, what age group are you targeting right now? Do you work with a specific group? Yes, I uh, work with the 14 under girls um, here at the national campus. So we bring in kids for camps primarily, um, camps training weeks. We don't do a lot of traveling with kids that age. We don't have them come in for long periods of time. They usually come in for a week or two weeks um, of training. Um, and we work with their coaches. Uh, so we, you know, we get the information back to the coaches, things that we worked on here, things that we see go to tournaments, have a chance to watch them play there and um, hopefully see them improving on things, have a chance to talk to their coaches about things we're seeing. It's always a lot easier, you know, when it's, you know, live where you're watching something and talking with a coach. So the tournaments, it's a great opportunity to do that, you know, with coaches. So you've been working uh, with the USCA for 16 years. Have you been with the girls 14 and under age every single year? No. Um, started in uh, 2003. So that first year and the next year, I worked primarily with um, like junior pros. So, you know, kids basically 17 to 18, 16 to 18, and did that for a couple of years. And then in 2005, started with the kids born in 1991, that age group. So I worked with an age group for a few years through um, 2008. Then 2009, I started with. 12 and unders. Uh, Jay DeLuis is another coach for the USGA. He used to work with that age group. And um, he actually started working with kids older. So I um, essentially switched places with him. So from 2009, I started with 12 and unders. And it's kind of grown to 13 and then 14 and been 14 and under for the last few years. Can we do some name dropping? What are some players you've worked with? I know uh, Amanda Anisimova was Sloan Stevens one, Kenan, Cece Bellis, Irina Falcone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so all those players. Um, so yeah, very fortunate. Um, when we moved to um, we moved to Boca, it was a good location. We had a lot of good players in the area, so players um, would come through and practice. Um, we were able to set up a program where um, their younger players were able to come out, and you know, not every day. Um, Amanda, you know, at first came out like once a week when she was younger. Um, always worked with you know her dad was her coach, so worked with her. Um, same with Sonia. And uh, we did. We actually had a pretty good setup there, where they'd 
a lot of times in the morning do drilling and then the afternoons do match play and we'd be able to have kids kind of all levels, sometimes older kids coming out in the afternoons. But um, Amanda and, and Sonia, you know, were kids that did that from pretty much uh, the beginning. Um, Sloan's, I've done very little with her. I mean, it's mostly been um, camps or, you know, a little bit of training. And um, let's see who else has been out of there. Um, you know, so, yeah, Irina Falcone <laughs> for sure was there. Um, so when I w- worked with the um, 91 group, um, so Irina would come and play matches. Um, actually, telling Irina, like the first camp I did when we were in Key Biscayne, Irina was actually in the camp along with Ali Risk. Um, so... Mallory Burdett and Burdett. Madison Brangle. There you go. So a bunch of kids uh, that uh, have you know, moved on to play pros, which is great. You know, so that's one of the things I'm fortunate I get to work with kids that are the best kids in the country. So, you know, a lot of them are going to be successful. So I was actually mentioning that to uh, Cece the other day. We were watching you practice with one of the girls. I don't I can't remember her name, but mm-hmm. she was pretty good. And I uh, made a comment to Cece. I was like, did you work with Coach Richard? And she's like, yeah, I did. And I was like. That's unbelievable. When I was, I believe it was 13 or something, I was still living in New York, mm. and I get this letter from the USTA, do you want to do this camp at Key Biscayne? And sure enough, it was with Allison Risk, Madison Brangle, and Mallory Burdett, whom all are top 70, have been top 70 players. Mm. It's not very common for a coach to be able to have that much of an impact on mm. so many players that end up being professional. What is it that you have that makes that possible? Um, again, I don't know how much it is me. It's definitely you know, a good system where you know, we get a chance to see younger players at an early age. Um, yeah, like Cece, I remember the first camp she came to, she was not the best one there. Um, you know, she was maybe in the middle of the pack. Um, she had come to some of the similar things she has now, you know, just the excitement that she always brings to the court and everything. So that hasn't changed. Um, you know, she's just gotten better as it's gone along. So, uh, you know, to be, to be honest, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy helping the kids and, you know, if anything, the, you know, I try as much as possible for them to enjoy it as well and to try to guide them, I guess, for a game for the future. Now, you know, that's up to them to apply all those things, but, um, you know, most of those kids, like I say, were good when they got there and, you know, they've gotten better as they've gone along, moved on to other coaches and everything, so... Yeah. We've named a lot of successful, pretty popular names, big names that have come through the the Ashby system. <laughs> For all those players though that that you worked with that didn't make it, can you tell the difference between someone like an Anisimova and a Kennan? Can you see or that early on that hey, this kid's got something different, or is it more of quantity and then figuring out one or two that rise to the top? Yeah, there are many kids that I thought were going to be very, very good and maybe even better than those guys. And they ended up not being, they ended up being good tennis players, but not, you know, making it into the pros. Um, you know, so I've learned as I've gone along that I'm not a very good predictor. So uh, I try not to pick, try to just have um, lots of players coming through as much as possible and try to, you know, treat, treat them all in a way that this is what you need to do to be great. So they have that chance. Some applied well, some were going to be great no matter what we did, but um, try to treat all the players that came th- come through with the idea that, you know, look at your game now and where do you want to go? Uh, if you want to be a pro, then these are the things you need to address. And, you know, fortunately, getting to see them when they're young, 12, 13, 14, they have a chance to, you know, make make those adjustments if they can. Um, so, uh, you know, the, 
the ones that came in that maybe I thought were really good and ended up not being so good as far as results. Um, I mean, I think that's just how tough the sport is. You know, it's, um, I remember there's a stat that somebody was saying that basically every year, the top 100, it's only six jobs available, something like that. We're on the women's side. So, you know, you have to be that good that you're going to take someone's job who's 70 in the world. And that's not easy. So, you know, many of these guys are good players, but, you know, it's just not that easy to actually be a pro. Irina, can you take us back to those days in that camp? Do you have any memories or, or things you remember working on or, or how you felt being a part of that? Because you were based in New York, right? So you weren't even a Florida girl yet. What was that experience like as a, as a young Irina? It was definitely, I think, uh, not necessarily life-changing, but it was shocking because I thought I knew what I was doing on the court. You know, I, I trained with my dad for a couple hours a day, didn't know what fitness was. And so I came in with Coach Richard and I believe, was it Coach Elke at the time? Um, I think we, uh, Katie Schluckerbeer, she's Katie since married, but Katie was, um, I think, pretty much leading the camp. I, I was helping her with the camp. Um, I don't remember. I think Jay DeLouis was around a little bit, um, but I think it was mainly Katie and I, the, the two leading the camp. I think that the level of competition was so high. It just was a very cool environment to be in. And all the girls, even at that age, were very professional. Like, we were there to work. It wasn't like, oh, let's socialize and have fun. It was, let's get better, which I think is one of the biggest differences in some of the camps you see today. Like, you know, some girls just go out there, whether it's a tennis camp, whether whatever sport it is, you know, some people just see it as a social event. And we were there to work even though we were very young, you know, that was our whole motive there. And I think Coach Richard had a lot to do with it. Yeah, and, I, and I think, you know, one thing about that is that's kind of like you can bring the best kids from around the country and they all want to do really well. So they all challenge each other in a good way. So everybody's, you know, basically really focused on doing their best and doing the training their best. And that environment, I think, continues here. So like we had a camp last week where, you know, the kids came in and, you know, they enjoy working hard because that's the standard. Everybody, that's kind of good peer pressure. And I think sometimes, you know, some of the kids in some of their environments where they're the best kids, it's almost like they're going down to the level of somebody else because, um, you know, the, the group has a lower standard. But, you know, when you get all the best kids together, they raise the standard. So that definitely helps. So we know Irina made the cup, but how, how do you select players? How do you know which players you want in these camps? And, and how are you watching? Is it rankings, results? Do you, I don't know, ask their coaches, their parents? Are you interviewing? How, how does this come together? Sure. I think, you know, the main thing I look at is um, results. So, again, the system we have right now, kids go when they're, say, 11, 12, they're in sectional camps. And you know, coaches can rec recommend them from there, meaning like the coaches that work the camps might say, okay, we have, you know, these kids that did really well. And so the younger ones, maybe that haven't played nationals, we haven't had a chance to see them, but, um, you know, 12s nationals, a lot of kids are playing. So we get a chance to see them there and, you know, inviting them for some of the camps that we have here that are from basically from 13 and up um, for the national camps. And when I like results kind of give you an idea of, okay, they've been beating these players that, and going far in the tournaments. Then you see them play and you're trying to match those things up. Um, you know, obviously a player that's winning all the tournaments, well, it's kind of easy. They deserve to come. Somebody else who's maybe going pretty deep in the tournament but not winning them, um, 
you're looking at that and then you're looking at essentially do they play good tennis do they have good athletic skills do they you know all intangibles you're kind of looking at with your eyes and matching that up but um results is probably the like i said that's the first thing and i distinguish that from ranking because you know sometimes somebody's ranked really high because they do well in smaller tournaments but not so well in the nationals so essentially the results that you know, the Easter Bowl, you know, National Clays, Nationals, Orange Bowl, those types of tournaments. Those are the main results we look at. And then, yeah, you're looking to see somebody that maybe is not doing great, but they're really fast or they have really good strokes or they play a good style of tennis. You have kids that maybe in the 12s. I remember um, first time I saw Claire Lou play. She was 10 years old and she was playing at clay courts and she's coming into the net and she comes in and, you know, she'll miss the volley or miss the overhead, keep coming in. And, you know, I remember talking to her mom after her mom was, you know, shaking her head. She keeps missing overheads. And, yeah, but, you know, every time she misses one, she's getting better. You know, she's getting one overhead better. And basically a year and a half later, she's winning at 11, winning 12's Orange Bowl. So, you know, and, and she won that tournament actually coming in and executing. So, Again, it's clear it was already good, but, you know, when you see a kid that plays a good style of tennis, that also goes a long way, and, you know, you try to balance that out results and, you know, up what you think maybe they can do later. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tennis.com podcast with special guest coach Richard Ashby. He's telling us about his experiences coaching young players and all the training camps he's coached, including one with our host, Irina Falcone. Keep listening. So we talked so you talked a little bit about the fact that you played college tennis. Did you yeah. play all four years? I did, yeah. Um, back when I was playing uh I think there was one guy my age that turned turned pro instead of going to college. That was uh, Jonathan Cantor. And all the other guys like Rick Leach and guys like that that were my age, um, Richie Rendenberg, those guys were all going to college. Um, I think Richie maybe left a little bit early, but most of the guys played four years. But I wasn't anywhere near in that league. It wasn't like any consideration of turning pro or you know doing that. Um, I was fortunate I got to play some pro tournaments from – after my second year, so you know, I got to know what it was about, but yeah, I uh, wasn't thinking of turning pro. So my question to you is, when I was playing junior events back in the day and before I decided to go to college, I wouldn't say that the USDA had a thinking as college being like, okay, she didn't make it as a pro, I guess she'll go to college. That's how it felt back in the day when you went to pro. It was like it, when you went to college, it was almost like, all right, I guess you failed. All right, you go to college, even though you're going to Stanford, UCLA, like it did not matter. Do you feel like that thinking has changed in today's tennis minds at all? Like as a junior, like when they come into your camps, is it still, I want to go pro, I don't want to go to college? Or, you know what, I want to go to a D1 school and get a full ride somewhere. 
Well, I, I mean, I don't know what all the kids are thinking. I think um, the majority are thinking that they want to go to college. Um, we certainly look at it as y you're, you want to play a little bit higher level all the way through. Like, you know, when you can play ITF juniors, you want to do that. When you can play pros, you want to do that. And your results are going to tell you where you are and what you, decision you should make. And going to college, it's good. When you go there, you've got to make sure that if you want to be a pro and you choose to go to college, you have to go to college with that mindset. I think a lot of kids, and, you know, again, sometimes, you know, it depends on who's talking to them and giving them a certain message. But the message we want to give them is you want to keep getting better. If you choose to go to college, you want to keep getting better. Now, again, the challenge is in college, you sometimes have people who have the mindset you're saying. They've gone there and they've like, okay, I'm not going to go pro, so I'm going to coast through college, which is fine. But if you're trying to be pro, then you have to go into college with a plan for just like you have a plan for how you want to improve academically. You want to have a plan for how you're going to improve as a tennis player. And one of the best things that's starting to happen is a lot of college coaches are taking players to pro tournaments while they're in school. Um, you know, if somebody comes in and says they want to be a pro, there are lots of coaches out there that know how to help you get there and they're going to lay out a good pathway and then it's and a good plan and Really, it's up to the player to to follow that and, and to fight a lot of, you know, you're not going to have eight people on the team that are all thinking they want to be pro. So if you have six, then you're in a great environment and you guys are all going to push each other. But if you're the only one, then how are you going to fight maybe what the other kid's um, feeling is? And, you know, that's where, you know, the player has to be determined. And, you know, hopefully the coach and assistant coaches can provide a, you know, a good environment, but um, it's definitely been proven that you can be a pro on the female side, even if you go to college. And for some players, it's turned out to be you know, the best thing. I remember talking with Nicole Gibbs a little bit, and it, you know, or she was talking to us actually as, as a group, just um, our PD staff, her and Bradley Klein. And you know, basically for, that, for her, she wasn't ready to go pro in a lot of levels, maturity, game, physically, all those things. And she, when she was at Stanford, had a plan for how she's going to get stronger and, you know, again, she's you know, going to mature being there in that environment. So college is definitely a part of the pathway. It requires a little more of a challenge than somebody who turns pro at 18 because just the in environment, you know. I mean, you work with players that are a little bit younger than the college age or the, the age of having to make that decision, but have you had to work with anyone where you had a discussion, hey, you know what, I don't think maybe pro tennis is the right path for you or, you know, what you're doing isn't going to get you there and you should consider college. Have you ever had to discuss something that big? Well, I don't, I don't think of it that way. I don't think of college as like a bad choice or college as failure. Um, the way I look at it is all the players you want to, they want to get better. So, you know, tell the players all the time, you know, Federer's trying to get better. Djokovic's trying to get better. Serena's trying to get better. You know, um, Halep's trying to get better. They're all trying to get better. Where you are now, sometimes tell them you're not good, right? You're not good enough, right? So it's not an insult. It's just a fact. So what are you going to do to get better? And it's not that you're not good enough to be pro. You're, you're, there are lots of things the juniors have to improve. They're, and having that focus, if really you're trying to get better, if you're 14 years old and you're worried that you're not going to be a pro, well, you're thinking about the wrong things. You need to be worried about how you're going to get your second serve better, how you're going to get your transition game better. 
How are you going to move better? All those things. And then, again, the results tell you if you're 15 years old and you're not being successful in pros, well, it's going to mean that you're going to need to improve X, Y, Z to be successful. And when you go back out the next year when you're 16 and then you're 17. And if you're 17, 18 and not being successful, it tells you that you're not ready to go to the pros and you need to work on those things in college if that's the path you choose. But um, I don't think, uh, I guess I don't look at it that way. That college is not failure. I mean, it's another step and that's it. What do you find is one of the challenges uh, when you do have these camps and you have all different ethnicities, cultures. I mean, obviously they're the same age, but maturity, I'm sure, varies with a lot of the of the girls. What would you say is like your biggest struggle and challenge? Um, I, I mean, I've been pretty fortunate that most of the kids get along. There's always a few kids that are a little bit either you know they like to be by themselves or they just don't they don't get along with kids in general. You know, so it's it's not so much the tennis it's just kind of their personality sometimes you have kids that are just raised in a certain way or they think in a certain way but you know most of the most of the time as the camp goes along people realize they realize they're all there to get better and i was telling the group last week you know you need you need the other person to play well for you to be successful so you need to be able to um you know, you want them to play well, you want them to do well, because if they do that, then it helps you. And, you know, so I don't, I've been really fortunate. I can't say that there have been big personality problems in, in camps that we've had. If we've had that, it's um, not been that difficult to get them on a working page. You know, not everybody's going to be best friends, you know, so that I accept and that I know. And, you know, you, if you have one kid by themselves, the whole camp, then that's a problem. But, you know, sometimes you have, Three kids are hanging out, another three that are hanging out. You know, okay, as long as they're not um, doing mean things to each other, it works out okay. The clicks. Yeah. The clicks. They start very young, don't they? Yes. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, we're here today with national coach Richard Ashby, talking all things Coco Golf, what he's excited about for 2020, and all the players that he's helped along the way. Keep listening. Have you had a moment in your career uh that you, you realized you know what this is where I'm meant to be like I'm so this is the right place for me you know like like I've not like I've made it because players we asked that like when did you know you made it and like you're a coach it's a little bit different but when did you know you know what like this is working what I'm doing is being it's 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 paying off um okay so when I started like say I worked more with pros or um, younger pros and I, I enjoyed that when I started with a 12 and unders um, what I came to realize is that I'm more a teacher than a coach. So with the younger kids, you know, th- there's a lot more teaching because they really don't do things well, right? So they're, um, you know, and they're expecting to learn. Like they come into it with, like if you tell them you need to improve your serve, they're, yeah, I know, right? So they're not 
fighting you. They want to learn. They you know want to be taught. Um, so I think pretty much you know in 2009. Um, so I, I used to help Julia Bostrop and Ashley Weinhold, and so I yeah 2009 they were playing a pro tournament and went and I was having lunch with them, and they asked you know if I enjoyed working with who I'm working with now more than them and um, told them, yeah, I enjoy it more, um, not because of them, but because I enjoy what I, you know, doing that. I enjoy teaching more. So I guess if there's any moment, then maybe that sometime in 2009. It's not um, easy to be in your position and have a, like your job for as long as you've had it. 16 years is a very long time for anything, to be honest. Um, is there someone that kind of helped you find this path did you ever have a mentor before you decided to take this coaching journey um i mean there, i've been very very fortunate to have a lot of coaches i worked with that were good coaches when i was playing and to you know be around good people i would say that you know what the person that got me on this path really um benny sims was a national coach when i was playing like so the last year i was playing playing a pro tournament I, I didn't know him and you know he um I was playing I was practicing next to like some national players that he was working with and so he introduced myself introduced himself to me and we just talked a little bit and then it was maybe you know s six months later after I'd stopped that um he contacted me about going to Saddlebrook to be hitting partner for Jennifer Capriati and that really I guess took me from doing I don't know what I would have been probably, I, would have, I think I would have been teaching tennis. I would have been teaching maybe at an academy or at a tennis club, tennis center. Um, but that took me to where working with, you know, obviously high level player. I was, you know, hitting partner for her for a little bit. And from that, you know, I was fortunate enough to keep working with higher level juniors or higher level pros. And so, I mean, Benny definitely provided me a great opportunity by recommending me for that job. Um, I would say, Probably the coach that um, taught me to play, um, uh, Henry Proato, um, you know, he, he spent a lot, a lot of time with me individually, more time than he had to, you know, worked with me without charging, all those things that um, maybe set, well, not maybe, definitely set the tone for, you know, understanding that um, you try to help somebody and you basically go all in and you put your heart into it. Um, and so he's definitely a good example and, you know, it's kind of set the tone for, uh, you know, an example for me anyway. I feel like we also have to talk about a little bit of, uh, the Coco mania being, uh, she's a little bit older than the players you're working with. She's, she's 15 and I know she worked with her parents or her dad. So, uh, not quite the same path as, as players you've worked with, but when you see a player that age, that young exploding so majorly on the big screens, you know, what's your thoughts on the Coco Mania? Yeah, um, I guess I always call her Corey, but um, <laughs> she's, I mean, it's amazing what she's done. So it's really interesting to see. She obviously has been very, very good, having been very, very successful. But um, talking to some of the coaches and they were saying, like the huge change from French Open, because people don't realize, okay, she played French Open qualities, lost second round, right? People just remember or people know her from qualifying at Wimbledon, beating Venus, and then that's her story from there. But, you know, before that, when she, even when she was in the juniors, she just she didn't have 
as much emotional control as she needed. She was a great fighter, but not that um, emotionally under control. And the fact that she's able to go from the French and really make a huge, huge improvement in her mental skills and you know the the commitment to controlling herself. I mean that that's amazing, but it's also a, a good sign for young kids to know that how important that aspect is for tennis. It's not just about hitting the ball or or moving. It's also how you control your mind. And you know I think she's definitely a good role model for all ages. And I would say you know she's earned everything that she's gotten. Um, I was fortunate to see her when she was maybe nine years old, eight or nine for the first time. And, um, you know, she's always worked just like she's had. She's always worked hard in the court, always fought. You know, the biggest difference is just how much more professional she is with her control of her emotions. Speaking of professional, I just want to go back to the fact that you were Jennifer Capriotti's hitting partner. Anything that you can remember that you really took away from your experience with her that kind of you've kept for the rest of your life that maybe you teach your own kids and in the camps and stuff? Well, I mean, she's, it's pretty amazing, like her concentration. So I met her when she was 13 and so 13, 14, uh, you know, like her concentration was amazing. And the fact that if you're doing something, if it's not that it, I guess not that challenging. She's bored, but as soon as it's challenging or as soon as she's down in the game, she raises her level. And, you know, when you're, I guess, looking at players, you know, those are the kind of the, I guess, intangible qualities, the the mental side of the game that is hard to know until you see players in situations. But certainly when we're in camps, if we see see players that actually love the challenge, you know, like, we start keeping score and their level goes up, their focus goes up. That's a good thing. You'd, you'd like them to be focused all the time, but you'd rather have good match players than good practice players. Um, you know, so kind of the the way her mind was is definitely a good example and a good, you know, as we look at, um, as I look at other players, you know, some of the qualities that, that she has um, or qualities kind of look for. Um, you know, I've learned a lot about you know all the hype that's around you know a really good player when they were young um and understanding that you know they need to have good people around them and they need to have perspective that um you know tennis is a part of life and i think that that sometimes is a challenge when um you know you're rewarded for all the success in tennis and you're you're not um i guess nobody reprimands you or nobody you know disciplines you when you you know do things that are you know not um, not the right things and they let it pass because you're such a good tennis player I think that you know people have to keep in mind that tennis is a part of life and understand that you know it's a big part and when you're on the court it's maybe the biggest part of that moment but you know need to know that you know there's more to life than just tennis and know that you know all, all the players you know need to and people around them need to keep that in mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a tough lesson that young prodigies are going to be learning, and, and hopefully someone like Coco Goff uh, maneuvers her way through all of that. Let's end with one final thought from Richard Ashby. It, who should people be excited about in 2020? I mean, people are already excited about Coco but, and Anasimova, but are there any young players we should maybe be seeing for over the horizon? Um, I don't know. If, uh, I, there's not somebody that's um, necessarily 
again, nobody was going to say that necessarily about um, you know Corey and her results, but um, you know I think the kids that did pretty well the you know the juniors last year are kids that you know could make that switch to the to the pros. Um, yeah, I don't have one name to look for. Um, I'll, I'll say that what I think that Corey actually did to help, and it showed at the U.S. Open that you know a lot of players that you know maybe were you know kind of doing okay realize, hey, I can go big and I can have that dream that, you know, Corey showed everybody, you know, we might as well dream big and go all out. And I think it's going to help a lot of the U.S. players. I think, you know, like Christian and Taylor Towns and their success there at the Open, I think they just had more belief than maybe they had had, you know, before earlier in the summer. So I think there will be a lot of players that are building off of that. I love that you call her Corey. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. He already, he did say that he's not a good predictor, so you did put him on the spot there. I put him so. on the spot. I did. I did. I definitely did. So um, let's let's end on that. This has been the Tennis.com podcast, and I've been Nina Pantic, joined by Irina Falcone. Thanks for listening, you guys, and thank you so much, Coach Richard, for being with us here today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team editor and audio designer and video editor Christina Koseva, producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.